Hard Fix Network. So you ducked out of the way of the flying baked goods. I was very agile back then. <laughs> it's time to check show. Welcome, everyone. This is the Gravity Beard Podcast. This is episode 23. We're recording today in Studio H. Thank you, as always, to our listeners. We appreciate your continued support. This is the second part of a two-episode miniseries with my dad. In part one, I sat down with him and discussed his hostile attitude towards technology. It was an audience favorite if you missed it. In part two, I asked him to tell some of my favorite stories from his past. My dad was the oldest of four kids. He had to be mostly self-sufficient at a young age. He's not an academic by any means. Instead, he was street smart, adventurous, and very mischievous. In my younger years, I distinctly remember him behaving in a way where he could only be described as an overgrown kid. As a result, he has great stories, some of which I witnessed firsthand. And while most of them are funny and entertaining, this interview has some serious moments too. My dad told some stories I hadn't heard before. For example, I didn't know that he grew up in a home full of bigotry, but knew at a young age it was wrong. And later, he literally found himself on the front lines of the racial tension that was at an all-time high in the late 60s. Let's get started. This is the Gravity Beard Podcast. Any opinions on the upcoming election? Oh, most interesting. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you may or may not have opinions on the two candidates? Well, I have an opinion about everybody and everything. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I could do 14 podcasts a week. Challenge accepted. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. There's the potential to do. I, I agree. That's why I wanted to get in touch with you about it in the first place. Okay. So did you want to say anything about either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton at this time? No, there's nothing good to say about them. All right. All right. Sports. And I have... Sports. I like sports. But, but here's my memory of, of sports in our household. Yes. Is you turning on the game only to sit there and root against the home team. I always thought uh, that it, was. It depends who owned the home. I, I just always thought it was strange that, that you would turn on the game, which you aren't really that interested in, but you would tu- you'd have it on every single week, right? And then even though you you would root against them actively during the game broadcast. Well, you misinterpreted who I was rooting against. Okay, all yeah, right. The team that the, I felt bad for the team because of its ownership. Okay. Okay. So I thought the only way that I could get back at the owners by not driving over there and sitting them down and talking to them sure. would be to see how many losses <laughs> I could root for during a regular season so that the owners would come off of their high horse and um, maybe be a, a little more humble. It didn't work. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say I, I may have, I may have inherited that that attitude towards the okay, situation. Well, so you have passed it on to me. So I appreciate no, the it. The apple doesn't fall. fall no, it, far no, from it doesn't. Tree. So, so you referenced you, you didn't, you wouldn't have the opportunity to sit down with him. If you had that opportunity, would you do that? Would I do what? Would you sit down with the ownership and give them a piece of your mind? It's a little late for that. Yeah, I mean, but if they invited invited you over, I don't know what the reason would be, and said for that reason, yeah, just. Or yeah. just, or just to have a drink and talk about the good old days. No, to come over and hey, we heard you, we heard you had some opinions you wanted to share with us. Would you go over there and sit down at a and have? I probably would because, and I can't create this opportunity, but 
I have run into Jerry Jones on three separate occasions. In Who's my, talking about Jerry Jones? In my building. In my building. Well, I've gotten because a, you ride the elevator often, and he's got business in that building. Yeah, so twice I've gotten onto the elevator. And but he that is, doesn't mean I can step on the elevator and tell him I think they should fire the general manager. Why not? And that for 20 years I rooted against the team when, in fact, I was trying – it was displaced. And now my children are asking me, why did I do that, Dad? I'm just saying, I, I actually had at least had a small opportunity to do what you said I you would you like said to do. I thought you said this was going to be another lightning round. <laughs> well, I mean, if we have to expand, we've got some time, so if we wanted to expand. Oh, I know we have time. <laughs> I, I, it's an interesting topic. Okay, go so, for it. So in case, in case you want me to pass anything on to Jerry Jones. Oh, yeah, tell Jerry. Give him my name and phone number. Okay, I will. Oh, you well. know, have his people call my uh, people. I'll tell, I'll tell Jerry that my dad would like for you to tell call him. Tell him I'll meet him at Frisco in one of his new restaurants. <laughs> at the star? Are you going to head up to the star? Oh, the star. Yeah. I want to help promote that. You know you can join. You can get a membership there. I can. If you like. In Frisco. Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Sign me up. Okay. Similar to my sports memory, I also have a memory of you turning on the Cosby show, even though you seem to hate the show, but you would turn it on and watch it anyways. Um, it wasn't so much I hated the show. That's a pretty harsh word. It was, believe it or not, I admired the performers on that particular show because of how well they had done in their personal lives. Because when I was growing up, I was told that there wasn't a good black person, there wasn't a good Jewish person, there wasn't a good this person. I came from a different era. And so... As I grew up, and it took me until the age of about 14 or 15 years old to realize in the whole world there must be one good black person. I'm going to go find them. There was no bigotry in our oh, home. No, I, left the, I left that attitude at home where it was ingrained in me because I knew it was wrong. So I didn't know that explanation. In back, and back then, um, I was involved from the other side um, when the civil rights movement uh, in the 60s, was uh, marching and burning. I was in the Army Reserve and called out to protect the fire trucks from the marchers and the burners. So you were actively involved in that? Yeah, I was on the other side, right? But I also felt as though those same people, and not all of them were burning, but the people that were actually marching for a cause, uh, that they had a right to do so, and that we being who we were uh, and, and our ethnic ethnicity, that we should be doing something about it. So one, what was it? Uh, one summer, I was asked to join a tennis league at a public park. The young man that asked me to join said, we're going to have a couple Hispanics, a black guy, a guy from Germany, uh, you, and blah, blah, blah. And we're going to call our little group. There was going to be six or eight of us, and it was going to be intramural. We were going to play each other so many times, and whoever had the most wins went to the championship or playoffs. How much tennis experience had you had up to that point? I had never played tennis before. Okay. I didn't know which way to turn the shorts or the handle. <laughs> so had, having, never, having never picked up a racket, you joined a tennis league? Well, because I thought it was going to be an interesting group. Got the it. League of Nations. Right. Okay. Tennis League sure. of all nations. And we were in, uh, at that time, uh, civil strife with what was going on. What year was this? Probably 1967, 8, 9, late 60s. And so 
explicitly part of the idea of it was to bring people from a different background together. Some one of those young guys thought it'd be a good idea to have a couple Hispanics, a black guy, if not more than one. Uh, Arthur Ashe was the only black tennis player at the time, so that wasn't a, there weren't a lot of them. Well, anyway, to make a long story short, so we played, and there was a black young man there. And one day after tennis, I said, um, because I wanted to know more about uh, the black uh, culture, I wanted to be educated because I was educated the wrong way when I was growing up. So I said, why don't you come over for dinner and bring your wife? And he said, oh, I can't do that. He said, what do you mean? And, of course, the marching and burning had just ended like the summer before, and this was the following summer. So that was, there, there that, we, was, that was the year of the Watts riots. Yeah. The, the riots were in Milwaukee. They were in Detroit. They were in Watts. So whatever year that was in the 60s. And I said, well, well I'd like to have, uh, uh, and I'm sure my wife would too, I said, I'd like to have you and your wife come over for dinner, and we can share our thoughts and our ideas and go forward with this whole thing and not have it a political evening, but a social evening. And he said, I can't do that. And I said, you can't come to my house? And he said, no, I can't come to your house and, and bring my wife. He said, you can't bring your wife? He said, I have a white wife. I said, well, I have a white wife too. Don't tell me your problems. Just tell me if you're going to come and have dinner. He looked at me kind of funny and he said, are you serious? And I said, yeah, bring your white wife and come to have dinner with my white wife. Okay. And you did. And he did. And it was probably a great evening. Wonderful people. Yeah. Okay. On a lighter note, another one of my memories, which we can talk about now or later, is we, we used to take many trips to Oklahoma. And on one of these such occasions, you went into a Western Wear store to buy a pair of moccasins. And I'm not even sure. I don't remember if we actually ended up with the moccasins, but we did end up with a potbelly pig. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. And to answer your question, no. I think when we uh, entered the front door, the potbelly pigs were off to the left or off to the right, and the moccasins were towards the back of the store, and we never got that far. <laughs> no, we, we were distracted by the corral of miniature pigs. It was a corral of miniature pigs. Uh -huh. It looked like a playpen, actually. I actually don't remember. <laughs> look and like a, look like a playpen with a half a dozen little. Uh, they were very small. And what, what's your what's your memory about how that went down? <clears throat> I paid two hundred bucks for one. And and then what happened? Uh, we brought it back to the hotel. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, that was not a good idea. I, I remember uh, put it in the bathtub. Yeah, because because we stopped at the store on the way into town, so we were going to be there for at least two nights, I think. Back then, we were going for two nights, maybe three. It was Friday night, Saturday night, home on Sunday. Right. So, so you know, what do you, what do you do with them? Because I think we asked the person selling the pigs, "Hey, are you going to be here on Sunday?" No, we're so not. So we can get them out of town, and they said, "No, I'm sorry, we're today only." And so we had to make our figure out how to make our purchase decision. Yeah, you buy a pig and you take it with you. Right. So we so we put the pig. We put the pig in the hotel in the bathroom while we were gone. Well, first we had to get it into the hotel, and I remember having a white towel in um, in the car, and I wrapped the pig, and it wasn't very big. Wrapped the pig; it was probably a five pound pig, if that. It might have been smaller. Wrapped the pig in this towel and put it under my arm, like I was heading towards the swimming pool. 
And I looked around, and when nobody was looking, I went up the staircase to the second or third floor and put the pig in the room. And then the pig went kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, we're not going to be able to go to our event if the pig is in this room running around. And God forbid the maid should come in here to make up the beds or whatnot. So we put the pig in the bathtub. And, and it, it tore up the bathroom a little bit. Common sense would. Yeah. It, but I didn't have any common sense. <laughs> it got a little wild. I realized that the pig would tear up the bathroom. It tore up the bathroom. Yeah. Took all the toilet paper off the rolls and all the towels. And then. And it was just a little pig, but it got into everything in that. So, so it was time for us to go home. I think I held it. Yeah, you know, all the way, all the way back, probably two or three hours in the car. It just screeched a lot. <laughs> it was not a very good traveler. Um, got got it home, and what what happened once we got home? Uh, your mother and your sister were in the swimming pool, and I was all excited about showing them this pig. And I don't know why, but your mother was not quite as enthusiastic as I was. I believe what she said was, "Is you did not bring home another dog." And I said, no, I didn't. <laughs> and, then, and then you put a pig down on the pool deck. And she freaked out. She did freak out. That's true. Yeah. She said, what is that thing? What are we going to do with but then, that? But then we sat down in the kitchen. We built a little place for this pig. Sat down in the kitchen and had a family meeting and a vote. And the vote was to keep the pig. And then we had another vote uh, to name the pig. And the pig's name was? Bob. Bob. And what what happened to Bob? I hate to say it, but he could be ham sandwiches by now. <laughs> Do you remember specifically what we did with him? Well, yeah. Um, we had a neighbor whose brother was visiting briefly, and he was kind of a wanderer. He had a van. He was a bit of a, he was van. a bit of a drifter. He was a drifter, and he, he had about a mid mid to but late sixties. But he was a bricklayer, so he could get a job wherever he drifted. To. He was in, he was in the construction business, and he was heading for Hawaii. I thought it was California. From Well, you have to stop <laughs> in California if you're in a van before you proceed to Hawaii. So he said, hey, I'm going to California, and then I'm going to Hawaii. And uh, uh, he really related to Bob. So he put a uh, kerchief around Bob's neck, sunglasses and a hat on Bob, set him on the console in the van, and they headed west. Yeah, so we gave our potbelly pig, Bob, to our neighbor's drifter brother, Randy, who drove him out to California in in his mid to late 60s Ford Pop Top Econoline van. Yes. Yeah, that's what happened, that's what happened to our potbelly pig. So then um, there were no more potbelly pigs after that. No, but up until that point, we we taught him some tricks. At least, at least somebody in our family did. He learned a couple of things. He was actually really smart. Yes. He just didn't integrate very well. Loved Oreo cookies. It would do (laughs) almost anything for an Oreo cookie. I don't don't remember that. Oh, it would roll over. It would sit up. We had, it was, it was almost like circus day. You'd bring the pig out in front, in the front yard. The neighbors all came out. Uh You haven't been on an airplane since, since 9-11? Shortly thereafter, it was um, one of those experiences that I thought, this is not going to work. So it's been about 15 years since you've been on an airplane? Yes. Okay. You haven't been to a movie theater to see a movie since John Travolta appeared in Urban Cowboy in 1980? I think I saw that on TV. <laughs> I think you went you went out on some sort of double date or dinner date. Might see. have. Okay, so the last time you were in a movie theater was 1980. I thought it was earlier than that. 
But yes, it's uh, no, it was actually later than that, believe it or not. It was probably 84, 85. Do you remember what you saw? Oh, no. Maybe I remember I got in free. uh, Right. Maybe trading places. I, I couldn't tell you what the movie was. Okay. Right. So, but, so you, yeah, it's been since nineteen eighty. So it's been over thirty years since you've been in a theater. Yes. Okay. Here's something I I don't know if we can expand too much on because there's a lot to say about it. You bought you bought your first car in a partnership with a buddy of yours at the age of fifteen. So talk about that first car. Just just briefly. Well, the first car was a thirty six Dodge that we went to a salvage yard. I was 14, he was 16. And back then you didn't have to sign anything, you didn't need a title, you didn't. And so we went to a salvage yard and he came up with $25 and I came up with $25 and we bought a 36 Dodge uh, four-door sedan. Where did you get the $25? Paper route. Paper route. And do you remember uh, painting the car? We made an attempt at that. (laughs) Tell me about that. Um, well, we actually attempted it on a couple different occasions because we never had enough money to buy enough spray cans to spray it. So you were going to hand spray paint the car? We did hand spray paint it. How did that turn out? Uh, not so good. Did your, uh, did your parents ever find out about your vehicle purchase? Uh, well, one morning, it was a Sunday morning, and um, we were heading down the street, and at the end of the street was a vacant lot, and this car was parked in there. That's where we kept it. Because my partner told his mother and father that it was my car. (laughs) And, of course, I told my mother and father it was Mm -hmm. his car. Well, I had proof because he had been out with it the night before. I was sitting in the backseat of the family truckster all ready for church. And he backs himself out of the backseat where he had spent the night. And I pointed out the windshield and I said, see... There's Dennis getting out of his car. <laughs> I was in the clear. Not, so that worked? For the moment. What happened to that car? Uh, we blew it up. You blew it up? What does that mean? Uh, well, that means that you drove it very erratically until... Uh, Did you drive it after you bought it at the age of 14 or 15? Oh, sure. <laughs> any uh, any trouble with the authorities? I mean, you could, couldn't get a license till 16, right? <clears throat> I guess so. Yeah, that didn't matter. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, there was a couple of the car stories among many that I remember you telling me. One was, it's when it's when the guy went to pick his his Corvette up at the dealership. Talking about being a uh, car jockey at a Chevrolet yes. dealership. Yes. Tell tell me the Corvette car jockey story. Yeah. Well, we weren't allowed to drive the Corvettes. This right. was this again was in the early '60s. I had uh, gotten out of the. Um, military, which was, like I said, six months, and uh, went back to my job at the dealership because I was going to make a career out of being in the automotive industry. Well, that didn't work out either. And so they gave me my job back uh, because now they knew I wasn't going to get drafted so they could train me in different departments and I was going to be there and then just have a couple weeks off in the summer. And so um, by mistake, one of the service writers in the service department handed me the keys to a Corvette, and we had what was known as a back lot. And so um, uh, it was about a block and a half away. So that gave us plenty mm-hmm. of drive time. Most right. of the time we were driving four doors or station wagons, once in a while a Corvair. This time I couldn't believe my eyes. And I tried the key in the door, and sure enough, 
this Corvette and it unlocked. I got in, turned the key in the ignition, fired it up, and took off. And and what were the circumstances? Why, why was the car there? Was it in for repair? Was it in for? I, I think it was a warranty thing where he had bought it the week before, and they said if you bring it back, we'll do this, this, and this. Right. I remember it. the guy hadn't owned it for very long. A week. And so what happened? It ended up in the body shop. <laughs> how, did, how did that happen? Well, the parking lot that they had parked it on, and again, not my fault. Not your fault. No, was kind of a gravelly cinder base thing, and. Um, and when you put it in first gear and let out the clutch and start doing donuts, <laughs> there's a tendency on that kind of a uh, surface to slide sideways. So, and so you didn't get very far. Never got out of the parking lot. <laughs> Was that your last day on, on the job? No, as a matter of fact, um, I did bring the car back to the service department. <laughs> Uh, one fender was kind of hanging off of it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Corvettes being out of fiberglass. Sure. And um, so the service writer, who for some reason really liked me, uh, said, now take it across the street. And it was an old, old dealership. So you actually drove the car on an elevator, a freight elevator, and then brought it up to the second floor where the body shop was. Well, naturally, the guys in the body shop were totally dismayed. They didn't even know how to fix the car. Oh, really? No, they didn't have the parts for it. It was, it's a brand new car. And what they had to do was take the pieces, and, and then one of them actually walked back two blocks to see if there was a chunk of this or a chunk of that still laying, which it was. And so they retrieved it and patched the car back up. Of course, when the guy came that day to get his car, they told him it was um, that there was a scratch in it. That's what they told him? Yeah. It got scratched. It's in the body shop. When it comes out of the body shop, you'll never know. So did they tell him, come back a week from now? or Oh, no. They worked 24 hours. They worked <laughs> all night on that car. Wow. Okay. Uh, uh, and like I said, I was very fortunate to uh, keep my job. No kidding. Uh, another one of my f- favorite stories, I don't know if I can help you remember this one because I, I just remember it vaguely, was you got picked up or invited to run out with, with a buddy's mom's car or parent's car or something? No, I, um, are you talking about a speeding ticket now? No, it wasn't a speeding ticket. It was, it, it was, I don't think you were driving. I think maybe your buddy was driving and you, he went to make a left turn, but instead spun out and came back the other way and hit him. Oh yeah. Well, that was another deal where we had, uh, my parents had bought, uh, they bought a brand new, <clears throat> I think it was a 1963 Ford Falcon four door. And so, because it was a brand new car, and back in those days, anybody that dropped your car off for the um, repair shop or the body shop, if you requested it, they gave you a, a loaner. It had a V8 in it where this little uh, Falcon just had a little six or a four in it. So, um, liking speed and cars and being teenagers, we would we only had it for a day. And I was allowed to drive it because I ran all the errands, so... I volunteered, of course, to go to the grocery store and pick up a loaf of bread or go here or do this or whatever it was. And so I had my buddy with me, and the light would change, and I'd turn the corner, and you could raise it up to where the right rear wheel would spin, and it would smoke the tire and make noise, and off we'd go. I did that three or four times. Then we went back to the house and dropped off whatever goodies we were sent to get. And my mother said that the dealership had called, so bring their car back. 
Well, we knew it was going to be the last opportunity to drive this neat V8-powered new car. And so um, he decided that that he would return it to the dealership with me as a passenger. So we get up to the corner within a block of the dealership, and he realizes this is the last time I'm going to be able to spin the tires turning a corner. Mm-hmm. Spun the tires, jumped the curb, hit a car in a gas station, and we got out and walked to the dealership and said, Go, go get your car. <laughs> your car is down at the Clark station. What do you mean it's at the Clark station? Well, and um, so we got in a lot of trouble for that. I'm I, sure I was grounded. Uh, grounded, sure, sure. Um, in fact, I think my mother took the keys to the Falcon away from me. Oh, no. Couldn't, <laughs> couldn't drive the Falcon after that. Oh, um, it was devastating. Before we were close to running out of time, the Thank other, God. one of the last, one of my favorite stories is when uh, your job at the bakery ended. Oh, yeah, that was a messy uh, ending to a, a good job. Um, yes, I worked for the in laws, if you will, and they owned a large private bakery and they had several stores. And their sons worked at the bakery, and because I was married to their daughter, I, too, was an employee of the bakery. I wasn't an owner. I was just a lowly employee. Drove a truck, filled bakery cabinets. Um, They wouldn't allow me to work around the ovens or the mixers because I had screwed that up six months earlier. So I was doing menial labor. And my brother-in-law, one of my brother-in-laws, there were several, one of my brother-in-laws said, uh, take that truck and uh, go drop off those three pans at this store, this store, this store. Well, that was going to be a two-hour deal. And it was now 11 o'clock in the morning. And um, and I had been there since 4 a.m. And I told him, I said, that's not my job. I said, that actually is your job as general manager to take these pies and to take this cake and take them to these stores, meet up with the managers, and tell them what you want to do. And he firmly told me that I worked for him and that he was going to tell me what to do, when to do it, and where to do it. And having somewhat of an opinion back then, I told him he could take his job and shove it. Well, he didn't like that. So he picked up a banana cream pie and threw it at me. Then he picked up a chocolate cream pie and threw it at me. Then he picked up something else. By that time, I had my little white apron off and yelled out some profanities, and I quit. Did he... uh did he hit you with any of the pies? No, he missed me. With all, all of the... I was very agile back then. <laughs> Not so today, but I was back then. So so you ducked out of the way of the flying baked goods? Uh, the banana cream pie and the mm-hmm. chocolate cream. They were all over the cabinets that were to be filled up tomorrow. So then he had to find somebody to wash cabinets down. And so... He said you're fired. I had resigned my position at he that said, point. He said you're fired and you said... I said, you can't fire me. I already quit. <laughs> and that was your last day in the bakery? Uh, yes, that was my last memorable moment and full-time position in the bakery business. 
Do you remember um, imitating the Czech brothers ever in your lifetime? The who? The Czech brothers. Czech brothers. Mm-hmm. Dan Aykroyd and Steve Martin as the Czech brothers, the two wild and crazy guys. <clears throat> oh, yes. I've seen those on. Do you, do you ever remember doing anything in the spirit of the Czech brothers? Oh, I'm sure I did. Something stupid. Do you, do you, <laughs> do you remember uh, getting in your car and putting it in reverse and driving all the way around the block in reverse? I recall doing that. Okay. Right. I don't know if that was due to the Czech brothers or not. But no, I think you declared it. We're two wild and crazy guys right before you did it. Probably. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, was, I was easily influenced. <laughs> we were glad that you were. Okay. I mean, I, this just scratches the surface. I think you could see we could probably do this for a lot longer. Or we could even do it again if we if we decided to. But uh, but thanks thanks a lot for sitting down. No, oh, you're welcome anytime. I really do appreciate it. Anytime. I will reread the contract for so, the next so you one. So you'd be willing to do this again? Did I say I wanted I'm, I'm, Are you putting words in I'm, my mouth? I'm not at all. I'm just asking. Is this something you'd be willing I to do? I said I would consider. Okay. Right? Well, I would consider doing this again. Didn't we just cover 72 years? Mm-hmm, probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. So would you agree podcasting can be fun? I don't know anything about podcasting. You just did podcast. I thought we were bonding father and son. (laughs) We were just in the context of a podcast. Well, then what the hell's podcast got to do with it? Nothing at all. Is there any any kind of sign-off or any other parting words? Hasta luego. All right, good enough. Thanks. Well, there goes my dad. Many people over the years have said to me, your dad, he's a real character. Honestly, I can't argue with that. And that concludes another episode of The Interview Show. Follow us on Twitter at TheGBIS. The Interview Show is a proud member of the Podfix Network. To find other great shows consistently creating platinum-level content, go right now to podfixnetwork.com or search at Podfix on Twitter. Special thanks to Phil Rude, that illustrator guy, for our custom logo. This is The Interview Show by Gravity Beard. We'll see you next time. Well, I have an opinion about everybody and everything. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, I could do 14 podcasts a week. He said, well, I have a white wife, too. Don't tell me your problems. Just tell me if you're going to come and have dinner. I believe what she said was, is you did not bring home another dog. And I said, no, I didn't. <laughs> and, then, and then you put a pig down on the pool deck. And she freaked out. So you were going to hand spray paint the car? We did hand spray paint. How did that turn out? Uh, not so good. He said, you're fired. And you said? I said, you can't fire me. I already quit. <laughs>